Today we're going to think about the holiness we find in the person of Jesus and how he calls us to emulate himself. But first, I have a confession to make, if that is okay. I am a persistent, habitual rule keeper. I know it's tough to hear. I know you wouldn't imagine that maybe to to look at me, but I am a stickler for the rules. I actually get quite anxious about breaking them. I sometimes get anxious when other people break the rules or when other people even talk about breaking rules. I think some of us are born rule keepers. Um, And I think I'm one of those people. There are others, including some of the people who are close to me, I won't name any of them, I don't want to get them into trouble, um, who are more inclined to break the rules or to question the rules. And we need those people in the world because they're the entrepreneurs, the explorers, the risk takers. But I am not one of those people by nature. I am a rule keeper. In Luke 18, Jesus meets someone a bit like me, except this person is absolutely loaded. A wealthy young man who comes up to him and says, Good teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? And classic Jesus, does he answer the question? No. He just offers a different question. He says, why why do you call me good? No one is good except God alone. And then he says, you know the commandments. You shall not commit adultery. You shall not murder. You shall not steal. You shall not give false testimony. Honor your father and mother. Rules. We love rules. They keep us safe. They tell us what to do. And the rich young ruler, he is a rule keeper. He's my boy. He says, I've kept all of these since I was a child. Now, when I hear this, I think, really, bit smug. But then, again, I'm not sure. I think we have to give him the benefit of the doubt. But I think we also know the reaction that he's looking for from Jesus. Well done, good, good lad, gold star. Keep doing what you're doing. You, young man, are on a highway to heaven. Uh-uh. What does Jesus actually say? You still lack one thing. Sell everything that you have and give it to the poor and you will have treasure in heaven. Then come follow me. It's a sucker punch, isn't it? Not just give up all your possessions. All these things you've worked really hard for. Actually, give them all up and then give up whatever you were doing to get all of that wealth in the first place. And then, only then, come and follow me. Jesus has just turned this young man's worldview upside down. It says he goes away sad because Jesus has pointed out the one thing that is most important to him. Holiness isn't first about rule keeping. It's about knee bending. Karma is not the kingdom. 
It's about worship. It's about following the chain of our affections to the throne of our heart and finding Jesus seated there. Not money, not sex, not power, position, work, or beauty. One theologian has said, you will never become holy because you work hard at it and keep all the rules. Holiness is about worship. It's about keeping first things first. We see this modeled in the heavenly throne room as the heavenly hosts never stop singing, holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty who was and is and is to come. Holiness isn't rule keeping. It's knee bending. Quick sidebar. That doesn't mean that the rules aren't important. Scripture lays out for us a pattern for human flourishing. And it's, it's good. It's good to follow this. But it's about our motivations for following it. It's about our posture. If we put worship first, everything else will follow. Holiness isn't rule keeping. It's knee bending. I have another confession to make, if that's okay. I am a recovering workaholic. I know these things sound like humble brags. It's like, you know, when you write a, a CV or a job application, name one of your weaknesses. I work too hard. I'm a perfectionist. But I think we can get sucked into these worldviews, these if this, then that systems. The harder I work, the better things will be. The more praise I'll get, the more people will like me, the more popular I'll be, the more opportunities I'll get. The change just goes on and on and on. We meet a workaholic as a side character in one of Jesus' parables. And a parable was just an illustrative story that Jesus told to make a point. In this particular parable, a father has two sons. And the younger son says, Dad, I wish you were dead. Or at least words to that effect. He says, I want my half of the inheritance. The half, I'm, I'm going to get it anyway when you die, but I want it now. This is jaw-dropping, particularly in the culture into which Jesus was speaking. Talk about entitlement. And he goes off, he splurges the money, and ends up totally broke. And he comes back to his father, intending to ask for forgiveness and to be taken on as one of the paid workers. But instead, the father, who has been watching and waiting for his son's return since the day that he left, sees him when he is still a long way away, picks up his skirts and runs to him. He embraces him, kisses him, clothes him in his best robe, kills the fattened calf, and throws a party. Now that's beautiful. And it tells us a story about what it's like when we choose to follow Jesus. But little brother has a big brother. How does big brother, who's been working all this time, that little bro has been off on a bender, how does he react? He is absolutely raging. His dad's response has completely rear-ended and driven a monster truck over his worldview. 
He was expecting to see punishment. Instead, all he can hear is a party. He says, Dad, all these years, I've been working my butt off for you. Where's my party? Where's my reward? He, he turned his back on you, on both of us. He wished you were dead. But you've rolled out the red carpet for him. What's that about? It's not fair. How does the father respond? He says, son, everything I have has always been yours. All you had to do was ask. But my boy, your brother has come home. We have to celebrate. Do you know that you can't work up your holiness? You can't make yourself holy. Holiness is part of your inheritance. When we turn to God, he and he alone makes us holy because he wants to know us. He wants to be in relationship with us. Gerard Hughes says, the call to holiness is the echo of God's longing for each of us. The call to holiness is the echo of God's longing for each of us. Holiness isn't backbreaking. It's identity making. As a much loved adopted daughter or son of the Father, He's already given it to you. It was achieved for you at the cross. The father gave up the most precious thing he had, his son, his most precious relationship, in order to restore relationship with you. You became an heir together with Jesus and get to inherit alongside him. Holiness isn't backbreaking, it's identity making. I have one more confession to make, if that's okay. It's like group therapy. It's lovely. Um, I don't have many Christian friends. When Stephen, our rector, asks us who we're going to invite to Alpha, I break out into a cold sweat. When I think, oh no, who am I going to invite to the carol service, I have a minor existential crisis. My rubbish excuse is that I moved here eight years ago uh, to Oxford to work for St. Audates and made loads of friends here. And part of my job is to get to know loads of people. But I think we can think as followers of Jesus that the safest thing to do is to retreat into Christian community, to listen to Christian, communi- Christian music, watch Christian TV shows, read Christian books, hang out with Christian people, work for Christian organizations, drink Christian coffee. But God is calling us to be salt and light. Jesus was more likely to be hanging out with tax collectors than temple people, sex workers than Sadducees. There was a group of people in first century Palestine called the Essenes, and they were so worried about being contaminated, even by the other religious groups like the Pharisees and the Sadducees, that they went off and lived in caves in the desert. They literally set themselves apart. Now that is the call on the lives of some people, but I don't think that it's normative. At least that's not what we see Jesus doing. Yes, we see Jesus go off into the desert or off alone, 
but only for short periods of time in order to prepare himself for ministry, to meet people. Holiness doesn't retreat undercover. It advances. It's not about being cut off. It's being in the middle of. That's why Jesus made himself like us, the divine son of God taking on our human nature in order to walk among us and restore our relationship with the Father. And he calls the church, us, by the power of the Spirit, to continue to influence the world around us. Yes, we're set apart, but we're like salt. If it stays in the salt grinder, it doesn't season anything. We've got to get out there. Holiness isn't about being cut off. It's about being in the middle of. Let's come back to the the passage that uh, Reese read to us earlier. Just as he who called you is holy, so be holy in all that you do. For it is written, be holy as I am holy. Throughout scripture, we hear this command eight times. It's simple and yet terrifying. Be holy as I am holy. What on earth? Peter is here quoting the Old Testament, God speaking, commanding his people, but he's also recalling that Jesus said this to him and the other disciples in Matthew 5. Be perfect, therefore, as your heavenly Father is perfect. When God talks about being holy, when he says, be holy as I am holy, He's not talking about an attribute that he has. He's talking about his very essence. He's talking about who he is. It's like me, instead of saying, I am tall, saying, I am Tom. How can we hope to be holy or perfect when we know that we are completely other than God and we can't even make it happen by keeping the rules or working for it or hiding under a rock somewhere? Do you know that at the moment you said yes to Jesus, you were made holy? The theological word we use for it is justified. By grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone, through the blood of Jesus, God said yes to you before you even said yes to him. And he's never stopped saying it over you. I'm getting married in a few months' time, which is very exciting. Thank you. Um, Excited for my big day. Um, And this last week, uh, my fiancé and I have been working on our invitations. Oh, my goodness. Designing and printing and writing and addressing your own invites is a whole thing, right? But actually, the invite is only the beginning. My wedding guests may need to get themselves um, an outfit. They need to get to Oxford. They might want to bring a tasteful, stylish, expensive, and definitely selected from the authorized and carefully curated gift list wedding present. It involves work on their part. But what if, together with the invite, so if I gave this invite to Emily, say, um, catch, um, and I um, sent Emily the perfect outfit for the wedding, 
tailored perfectly to her? What if I arranged door-to-door transport for her and even bought that expensive coffee machine that's on the wedding list to give to her, to give to me and my fiancé? That is what God says, does when he says, be holy as I am holy. Elsewhere, he says of himself, I am the Lord who makes you holy. Jesus says to his followers, you are already clean because of the word I've spoken to you. We've already been made holy. And as we walk in that holiness, as we live out the forgiveness that was won for us, bought for us at the cross, we start to live out that identity that has been given to us. It's like growing into a coat which doesn't quite fit yet because it's too big. The theological word for this is sanctification. Simon Ponsonby, uh, who is our pastor of theology here, writes this. If you think you are a slave, you will live like a slave. But if you know you are God's daughter or son, the child who inherits, you will act accordingly. We move from holiness in him, justification, to holiness like him, sanctification. Another theologian says this, if holiness is who God is, then it is similarly our identity and belonging which enables us to be holy rather than what we do. Our behavior stems from what and whose we are. We don't start from a place of brokenness. That's where we were, where we were before God intervened in our lives. We start from a place of being blessed. How could this understanding of holiness transform our lives? I think sometimes we think of holiness as being like uh, wearing a white sheet or a completely white outfit. And somehow we have to go through life without getting it dirty or messy. But if that's how we live our lives, it's easy to see how we can become reclusive, drawing away from others. What if that's not what holiness is about? What if holiness is a mark of identity, a mark of set-apartness, a royal robe, a mark of authority, a seal over our lives, a mark of family? That holiness has the power to transform our workplaces, our schools, our colleges, our hospitals, our neighbourhoods, our homes and our families. Don't get me wrong, holiness is definitely about behaviour, but it doesn't start with behaviour. It doesn't start with rule keeping or work. Holiness is about worship. It's about relationship. And relationship leads us in the compassion of God into the world. Holiness is God. It's his essence and is demonstrated supremely in Jesus. And Jesus demonstrates to us how to live for God. And the Holy Spirit empowers that holy life in us. Holiness isn't rule keeping. It's knee bending. It isn't back breaking. It's identity making. Holiness isn't being cut off. It's being in the middle of. And holiness is found supremely in the person of Jesus. I wonder how you understand holiness today. Maybe you've never given your life to Jesus, chosen to follow him. 
May we feel too messed up to ever be used by him. The minute you say yes to him, he makes you holy. The work doesn't stop. He keeps making you holy. And sometimes that's hard work. But if you say yes to him, you'll find he's already said yes to you. Or maybe you've counted yourself out. Maybe something uh, has happened to you or to make you think you can't be used by God. Maybe he wants to, he wants to wash you clean again to remind you of that once-for-all word he's spoken over you and to re-enlist you in his mission to transform the world. Maybe today you're desperate to be made holy and you're thinking, why can't it happen now? And God's saying he's already justified you. But that work of sanctification is a long work, but he's keeping working on your heart. Or maybe you struggle with one or more of the things I've been talking about, and you need to reorientate your affections, your efforts, or your relationships. Maybe you've been sucked in by one of these worldviews. Maybe God is gently calling you back to himself, back into reliance and relationship with him, and back into the world. Amen.